I hope and pray that as we've had a moment here of worship and song, uh, that you have just sort of declared this is God's time. Not our time, not, not oh, I got this going on today, but this is God's time right now. Um, thankful that Dave is here today. His family is here as well. Um, sitting like three rows back right off here. Uh, his wife Karen and their kids are here, so please make them feel welcome today. And uh, Karen, why don't you just give away so everybody sort of know what general direction right there. Okay, there you go. Thanks. Sorry to point you out like that. We don't normally do that with our visitors, but we made the exception today. For if the rest of you that are visiting here today, I promise we won't make you stand and wave. But if you could stand up and tell us your birthday, your favorite. Oh, right. okay. uh, I want you to think about this. I don't know about you, but have you ever seen certain laws or certain rules that just sort of seem crazy or bizarre? Uh, maybe you saw a sign posted with a rule and it seemed just utterly ridiculous, okay? I saw the sign. This is what it said. Um, if door does not open, do not enter. Can I hear a duh? Okay. Um, so here's the thing. If the sign doesn't get your attention, this is what you do. You post a sign and you make a law out of it, okay? So here's a sign with a law. I'm sorry, with a, a fine. Touching wire causes instant death. $200 fine. <laughs> Who are you going to collect it from? Okay? Just think this. Somebody's like, I don't get it. Causes instant death. $200 fine. Let's just roll on. Okay, you didn't catch that. Okay. There are actually um, some laws that have been made out there, and because of these laws that were created, obviously somebody did something to cause people to come up with an idea, well, we better create a law so that people don't keep doing this. These are actual laws. These are actual silly laws. In Indiana, I don't know if you know this, but it's uh, illegal to catch a fish with your bare hands. I don't know if you knew that. So if you happen to go to Indiana and you want to catch a fish with your bare hands, you're breaking the law, okay? State government officials who engage in private duels. Now remember, private duel, okay? If you're back-to-back -back and you walk 10 posts with a gun, and then after 10 you turn and fire, that's, that's a duel, okay? Any state officials caught in a private duel will be dismissed from their post. I'm thinking one of them is going to be dead, so it doesn't matter, okay? Anyone 14 years of older who profanely curses, swears by the name of God, or using Jesus Christ, or the name of the Holy Spirit will be fined $1 to $3 for each offense with a maximum of $10 per day. Did you know that was an actual rule? There's a lot of broke people in Indiana right now. I'm going to tell you right now, I've, I grew up there. In South Bend, it's illegal to make a mo monkey smoke a cigarette. So if you go to watch a Notre Dame football game, any Irish fans out here, please do not make monkeys smoke cigarettes. You'll get fined for it, okay? Uh, it's illegal to fish for whales on Sunday in Ohio, just in case you thought about doing that today. Uh, Toledo, I don't know if you knew this, but in Toledo, it's illegal to throw a snake at anybody. So again, but you think about this. Somebody must have done this, and somebody said, we need to create a law so this doesn't happen. So this actually, you think about this, in Detroit, it's illegal to tie up an alligator to a fire hydrant. Didn't know where else to tie it up to. I was walking down Detroit, just thought, well, fire hydrant. No, you can't do that. It's illegal. Oh, okay. Let's put it somewhere else, right? New York City. A person may not walk around on Sunday with ice cream cones in their pockets. If, you, if you're going to put an ice cream cone in your pocket, you should be fined. That's all I'm going to say. Alabama, it's illegal, <laughs> only down south, I'm sorry. Uh, it's illegal for a driver uh, to be blindfolded while operating a vehicle. It's against the law. And stupid, okay, sorry. 
I, I use the, that word. Colorado, it's, e it's illegal to throw missiles at cars. So I'd make sure that's pointed out. If you go to Colorado, you can fire them at somebody, but you can't throw them, okay? And uh, cats cannot run loose without being fit with a taillight. I have no idea where that came up. That's in Colorado as well. Now, again, you're sitting there saying, is this, are you serious? Yeah, there's actual laws for these things and a few more. And, and, and why do I bring that up? Because in today's message, in the book of Esther, we're going to hear about a law that was created. And we say, who would come up with such a law? Why would they make this decree? I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's silly. It's ridiculous. But something happened to cause somebody to get so outrageously mad and angry that they said, that's it. I want to make a law. And I imagine that's how some of these laws were made. So let's do this together. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Esther. So if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back. Raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. We're in the book of Esther. And I think I uh, just reminded if you have a hard time finding the book of Esther, what you do is you find Psalms and Proverbs, and then you're going to work your way back towards the front of the Bible. You'll get past Job, going the opposite way, and you get to Esther. Esther chapter 3 is where we are at. We've been studying here the last couple of weeks, and it, you know the series is called Battle of Sexes. And again, it's not about women against men. It's how do we work together as men and women? How do we serve together? How do we worship together? And in today's message, you're going to see how uh, Esther and Mordecai, a woman and man, worked together under God's plan to put something into action. How do we work together? Again, the Jewish people here were released from captivity. A small remnant decided they're going to stay in the Persian Empire there. And um, this is about 590 B.C. Just again, sort of give you a little background there. Last week we talked about the beauty of living a godly life and how God works within us. And sometimes we underestimate what God has done in creating us and the value He's given us on the inside to create something beautiful on the outside. And we sort of hit on that last week. So we're going to pick up now in Esther chapter 3. Esther chapter 3. Let's begin reading. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agitite, to prime minister, making him the most powerful official in the empire next to the king himself. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down and show him respect. The palace officials at the king's gate would ask Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's commands? And they spoke to him day after day, but he still refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct, since Mordecai told him he was a Jew. Now, a couple things about Haman here real quick before we read on. And then here's the first thing you need to know. Haman was an ungodly man. Okay, plain and simple. He was an ungodly man. But God had a purpose for him. A lot of times we think that God has purpose just for those who are godly, but God also has purpose for those who are ungodly. And you're going to find out here what God's purpose was as we go throughout this study. Haman was a descendant of Agag, now he, which means he belonged to the Amalekites. The Amalekites and the Israelites and the Jewish people were enemies. At one point in time earlier in history, God said, when you go into this land where the Amalekites are, get rid of them. Now, it sounds harsh, but God says, listen, I, you are a holy people. 
you are set apart from everybody else. And if you come in and you mix with these people, you will no longer be holy. So you need to get them out. Problem was, there's a little disobedience further back, and they never got rid of them. So here is Haman, a descendant of the Amalekites, a sworn enemy of the Jewish people. Okay? A little bit to know about him. Now, Mordecai must have known something about Haman. Now, maybe he knew he was a descendant. Maybe, maybe not. As to why he would not bow down to Haman. But here's, here's my, this is my opinion, okay? Like, well, Pastor Rex said, so no, it's my opinion of God's scripture in this portion right here. And I'm just going to say this. I believe Mordecai understood God's commands. Not to bow before any other gods. Not to worship any other gods. That was clear to the Jewish people. That was clear to God's people that there would be no other gods. And here's Haman coming along saying, bow to me. Worship me. We see that all the time with kings, right? And here's a godly man saying, I won't bow to you because you are not God. And so he refused to take a knee and bow to Mordecai. And Mordecai's determination here was not just I'm not going to bow to man, but here's the deal. I only bow to God. He was bold. He was courageous in his faith. That reminds us of a few other men who did the same thing in history, who would not bow to a big statue. Remember that story? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Oftentimes, it's, it's great as you read through Scripture to find men and women who said, I will not bow to the things that are around me. I bow to only one God and one God alone. And those stories are, I'm going to say, inspiring and, and encouraging for us. And find those stories. Read them. Mark them in your Bible when you've got to come back to them when it's, when it's hard to stand. So doing what is right, by the way, will put you in the minority. We used to talk about that, right? Let's read on. So we pick this back up in verse uh, 4. We'll go back to verse 4. They spoke to him day after day, but he still refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. Verse 6. So he decided it was not enough just to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Since he learned that Mordecai was a Jew, he decided, he decided to destroy all the Jews through the entire empire of Xerxes. It wasn't enough just to say, Mordecai, you're really making me mad right now. I'm going to get you. It's like, you know what? This is what sin does. Sin multiplies. I want to take out you and all of your people. I'm going to annihilate every one of you. Now, I don't know why Haman didn't first notice his stubborn resistance, but it had to be pointed out to him by the people around him. Hey, Haman, did you notice that guy's not bound to you? You know, he's a Jew. And Haman was an extremely proud and insecure man. He had to have people doing this stuff for him. He couldn't consider himself a, a success unless everybody else around him thought he was a success. You know, I mean, sometimes we have to do that, right? We sometimes are a little insecure about ourselves or maybe we're not sure. You know, I wonder if people really like me. I'll post something or I'll put something out there and I hope I get a lot of likes. Okay, good. Whew. I'm okay. I'm okay with myself. Understand this. You don't need everybody else's opinion to have value. We talked about this last week. God has already given you value and purpose. Haman didn't get that. He needed everybody else to feed him and make him feel good about himself. So Haman's anger led him to take out his wrath upon the whole Jewish people, the whole nation. And the problem with Haman exposed his basic hatred towards all Jewish people. Let's read on. Verse, 
Here we go, verse 7. So in the month of April, during the twelfth year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast, lots were called Purim, to determine the best day in the month to take action. The day selected was March 7th, which was nearly a year later. Now, Purim was the Persian word for lot, something like dice. So he took some dice, shake them around, throw them out there. Let's leave it to chance, right? Or maybe to the God who guides chance. And he tossed it, fell in the twelfth month. And since this took place in the first month, the casting lot determined to be 11 months later, when they would all be massacred. Okay. Now, what does this say about chance? What does it say about dice? You know, in Proverbs, it talks about this, Proverbs 16, 33. It says, we may throw the dice, but God determines how they fall. A lot of times we just, well, let's just throw it the chance, right? Let's leave that out. Let's just go right to God. Let's just go right to God. Let's just sort of see what happens. No, no, no. Let's ask God what we should do. Let's ask God what we should do, because he's the one that's going to determine, right? And the long delay between the first month and the month of this massacre against the Jewish people was ordained by God. There's purpose for this. There's timing here. Let's read on. Verse 8, Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There's a certain race of people scattered through all the provinces of your empire. Their laws are different from those of any other nation. They refuse to obey even the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it please your majesty, issue a decree that they may be destroyed. I'll give 375 tons of silver to the government administrators so they can put it in the royal treasury. Now Haman's charge was pretty dangerous here, what he was saying. And it was, here's the problem, though. It was only half true. I mean, that's usually the way sin works. If you really want to go after somebody, you're only going to speak half-truths. Yeah, there are certain Jewish people scattered and dispersed. He's correct on that. And yes, they have their own laws. He's correct on that. But here's his half-truths. Their own laws did not impede or mess up what they were doing in following King Xerxes and the laws of the land. There was no problems there. There was, they were still loyal subjects, but Haman made it sound like there was an issue here. Haman suggested organizing a mass murder of the Jewish people. He also neglected to tell the king how many people this involved. Well, there's a, there was a lot of people involved. Xerxes probably considered this, oh, this is probably just a small threat, right? A band of rebels is probably who Haman's talking about, so not a big deal. I'll sign off on this, Yeah. He didn't understand how wide as his empire went, which exactly went out to Israel, and how many people that would be. He said this, how much silver did he say? 375 tons of silver. That's a promise of a bribe. Hey, oh, by the way, this money wasn't going to come from Haman. What was going to happen was, as he declared later, whoever went out and killed the Jewish people, you could take whatever property they owned. So I'm sure Haman and his men said, we know some people we're going to take out right away. Let's take all their money. We'll give that to the king. That'll be part of the bribe. That's not going to cost us anything because we're going to get more out of it in the end. Sort of sickening, isn't it? Let's read on. Verse 10. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger, giving to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the agitite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king told Haman. But go ahead and do as you like with these people. 
So on April 17th, and I love how the writers put this down in document. They can actually go back in history and they can look up the documentation exact day. It was like in once upon a time. This is truth here, okay? April 17th, Haman called in the king's secretaries, dictated letters to the princes, the governors, the respective provinces, and the local officials of each province in their own scripts and languages. These letters were signed by the name of King Xerxes, sealed with his ring, sent by messenger into all the provinces of the empire. The letters decreed that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen nearly a year later on March 7th, and the property of the Jews would be given up to those who killed them. A copy of this decree was sent. It was issued to every province, made known to the people, so that they would be ready to do their duty on that appointed day. And at the king's command, the decree went out by the swiftest messengers. It was proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city fell into confusion. Wow. King Xerxes probably again had no idea what he agreed to. He probably believed that he just merely agreed to the execution of a band of rebels and revolutionaries that were causing some trouble. This is not going to be an issue, he thought. And with this, an empire-wide death sentence to the Jews was announced by the king. This was like many other attacks against the Jewish people, except that this time it was announced well in advance. Everybody knew a year out this is what's going to happen. Throughout history, the Jews were often attacked. We even know what happened with Germany and Nazis and how they were attacked. But here, we're going to give a year's notice. So you all get your knives sharpened and your swords ready. Think about who you want to attack. You can go ahead and scope out. Is that a pretty rich Jewish family? Because if I kill them, I get all their stuff. And it provoked a lot of things within this nation. Now think about this plan and this decree. All the Jews in the Persian Empire, which included the land of Israel, which would be what? Completely wiped out. And if that's wiped out, guess what? How do we send God's Son, Jesus Christ, of a Jew, to be born when they're all wiped out? Do you think God's going to let this happen? No way. No way. God's got his hand in this. And I think there's a lot of times in life where we as Christians, we sit back and we say, God, what are you doing? Do you not understand what's going on in my life? If this happens, God, then what's going to happen down the road here and what's going to happen down the road? Do you think God is up in heaven right now going, oh, I didn't think about that. You're right. You've thought things out. Good job, grasshopper. You know, what were we thinking, right? Some of you don't remember that show. That's okay. But God knows it all. He sees it all. He looks at our lives and he says, that's, the, yeah, I know. I know, but see, here's the part you don't know and I don't know. God says, this is going to happen down here along this journey. It's going to be okay. And if it's not going to be okay for that part of the journey, that's all right because somewhere else down the road, you will see my hand. You don't walk alone on this one. You don't walk alone with this. The king sat down to drink. He thought he'd done well. He didn't really understand what he'd done. Haman also sat down to drink. They were both having a drink together. They thought they'd done well. He knew exactly what he intended to do. Haman was an evil man. And, and despite this, both king and Haman sitting down and sort of, hey, let's have a drink. Hey, I, I really know what I just did. I, I know what you just did. The rest of the city was perplexed. Because you have to understand, the Jewish people were intermingled with some of them in this Persian empire. Some of them are neighbors and they're friends. And now they're looking at their neighbor going, 
I've been given legal reason a year from now to kill you. And as a neighbor, as a Jewish person, I'm looking at it going, a year from now, I'm fearing for my life, starting today. And everybody's just confused. When this decree came forth, everybody all of a sudden looked at each other differently. Now, again, all this came to pass because of the insecurity and the wickedness of one man, Haman, right? Did you ever hear the phrase, hurt people, hurt people? Did you ever hear that phrase before? That's why it's so important that when somebody's hurting, they find healing. So that when they are healed, they also too can help people. But when you are hurting, guess what's going to happen? You most likely will hurt somebody else. It's so important in ministry uh, for like one of the things that we do in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We work with a lot of coaches. Why is that? Because we understand that if a coach is hurting, guess who he's going to hurt or she's going to hurt? All the athletes they coach. We've got to reach that coach before they hurt all those students by how they act, their anger, or their frustration, or their belittling, or their demeaning of character with those kids. Or because I want to win, I'll do whatever I can. I don't care if you play or not. Or what, you know, There's all kinds of hurt from a coach that can go on to a kid. So it's like, let's help that coach so they don't hurt that team. Because then you've got a hurting team. Where does that go? That hurting team goes out into the school. And all of a sudden the school is now hurting. Oh, by the way, when a school's hurting, guess what's next? The community starts to hurt. It's a trickle effect. Hurt people hurt people. And here's Haman, a man who's hurting, and now he's going to hurt everybody else. When we discover in this, in this chapter, I want you to hear this very carefully. Recognize what sin is and the results of sin. Recognize sin and the results of sin and what it can do in destroying people. Haman's filled with pride. Second command, believing everybody should bow. And when this doesn't happen, his rage rises up, which leads to the decree to kill all the Jews. Now notice the decree gives rights again, not just to murder innocent people, but to collect their belongings. Murder is now legalized. Therefore, I may also legally steal of people as well. Sin multiplies and gets bigger and uglier. Did you notice the behavior of Haman and the king after the decree was made? Did you notice their behavior? Hey, let's just sit down and have a drink. Who cares? Right? They sit down and drink as if nothing happened. And this is what you also, and I also need to hear this. So please listen carefully. To the unsaved person, to the person who's never confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, to that person, sin's not a big deal. To the Christian, to those of us who have confessed with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, sin is a big deal. But to the unsaved, it is not a big deal. Sin means nothing. Do not expect those who are ungodly, who do not love the Lord, to be upset by sin. Sometimes as Christians, we get mad with people who don't know Jesus because they're sinning. They're like, what's the big deal? This does not matter to them. Are you, are you following me on this? I think sometimes we walk around as judges and jurors and we say, you should be upset by sin. Don't you know this is a sin? They're like, we don't care. This is not a priority to them. And we think it should be. I'm, I'm telling you right now, because they do not know God, 
or love God or call him Lord and Savior, it's not a big deal. I don't know if you knew about the uh, Fox Network, a TV show that they're coming out here soon to air called Lucifer. I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, it's a new series which will glorify Satan as a caring, likable human being. Uh, the series is going to focus on Lucifer who's bored and he's unhappy in hell. So he resigns the throne in his kingdom of hell, comes to Los Angeles, okay? And he gets, um, he gets his kick out of helping the Los Angeles Police Department punish criminals. At the same time, God's emissary, his angel, by the name of Amandel, uh, has been sent to Los Angeles to convince Lucifer to return to his kingdom. Now, previews of the pilot episode, a lot of graphic acts of violence and women cladily dressed in nightclubs and all that kind of stuff, and demons and all that kind of stuff. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think Fox Network really cares what we Christians think about that show? Not at all. I've seen the petitions out there. You can go online and sign and say, hey, take this off because it's not good for people to watch. Do you think Fox is going to sit there and say, wow, we've got a lot of signs and petitions and boy, we really should honor those godly people who don't want this show on there. Do we really think that ungodly people care about what godly people think? No. This world will not support godliness. Do not be surprised when you see ungodly principles celebrated by ungodly people. So when you're looking at the scripture and you see Haman and King Xerxes just make a decree to kill all these people and steal all their stuff, do you really think they should be upset? No. Because they're not godly men. So again, recognize sin and the results of sin. And once we recognize sin in our life and we recognize sin that's going on around us, here's the next thing we do. Let's look at chapter 4. Chapter 4. When Mordecai learned about all these things that had been done, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, went out in the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail, stood outside the gate of the palace. No one was allowed to enter while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, they wept, they wailed. Many people lay in sackcloth and ashes. You know, Mordecai was anguished with all this. Remember, the integrity of one man. Where did this all start? Do you remember where this all started? Mordecai would not bow. I will stand for God. Because I stood for God. Guess what's going to happen now? You all dying. That's how it all started. Mordecai's strong faith in God. Because of that, now a decree is made there. Everybody else is going to die. How do you think Mordecai's feeling right now? It feels horrible. Well, he doesn't regret what he does. He stood for God. He did the right thing. But now he looks around all this, and he's, he tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth and ashes, which is a sign of mourning. But he does not go back to the feet of Haman and say, I'm sorry, I will bow to you now. Please remove this. He's not going to do that. And here's the thing. He knows the law. It can't be reversed. It can't. That's the law. There was great mourning among the Jews. Mordecai's reaction was now, boom, sort of spread out. Now everybody's reacting the same way. Everybody's crying. Everybody's upset. Here's, here's the thing. When sin challenges or affects our lives, what do we do? When sin hits us between the eyes, what do we do? Do we weep and wail? Do we get upset? Do we fast? Do we pray? Do we get angry? Do we make a plan? Let's read on here. 
Verse 4, when Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him and replaced the sackcloth. They refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as an attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai, find out what's troubling him. Why is he mourning? So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story. He told him how much money Haman promised to pay the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all the Jews. And he asked Hathak to show it to Esther. He also asked Hathak to explain to her and urge her to go to the king to beg for mercy, plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Now Esther's living in isolation. She's not been made aware of this decree. She has no clue what's going on. Before she understood the decree, she had to understand why her cousin made a, Morde uh, made a, a spectacle of himself. She's a little bit embarrassed. What are you doing standing outside the city gates wearing a sackcloth and ashes and crying? What are you, what are you doing? Straighten up. Change your clothes. She actually sent some stuff out to him like, here, put on some different clothes. Would you please change? Sort of embarrass me right now. Get over your sorrow. Move on, right? I'm not sure whether Esther is communicating to Mordecai um, that, you know, just get over it or whether she's saying, I want to help. She feels bad for him. But sometimes as Christians, sometimes we see people in pain and our first thought is, get over it. Come on, really? It's going to be all right. We sort of do what Esther did. Here, get some new clothes, put them on. Get over your weeping. Get over your sorrow. I know you're hurting right now. Get over it. Sort of like what Esther did, right? And she had to find out a little bit more about what was going on. Mordecai had to show Esther what was going on. So he sent a copy of that death sentence to her. And Hathak returned to Esther with a message. Look at verse 10. Esther told Hathak to go back and relay the message to Mordecai. The whole world knows that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come in more than a month. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. You know, after giving this uh, copy of the decree to Esther by Hathak, Mordecai challenged her to intercede on behalf. Do something, please do something. But Esther's like, I can't. I, I can't come to the king unless he calls for me. He hasn't called for me in 30 days. That's a wonderful marriage relationship, isn't it? They haven't seen each other in 30 days. Her reply is sort of, in a sense, like a reply in our times, like, well, what can I do? What do you want me to do about it? Do you ever have before somebody comes to me, I'm really struggling in my life right now, and your first thought is, what am I going to do about it? I don't know. What do you want me? I call up a counselor, call up a pastor, call up somebody else. I'm not sure what I can do to help. Do we doubt our ability to help? Have you ever doubted your ability to help somebody else? Can I remind you all something? First of all, look at each other. Give them a high five and say, Christ lives in you. Go for it. Look at each other. High five. Christ lives in you. Go for it. Now that you gave one person I five, turn around to another person, give the other person I five that you totally ignored. Awesome. We forget that. You know, oh man, you know, we are victorious. Have we forgotten how victorious we are in Jesus Christ? We were like Esther and Mordecai walk around sort of defeated here, but it's like, you know what? Have we forgot that the living God lives in us? And when pride comes our way, did we forget that our God serves up humility? Or when lies come at us, have we forgotten that our undefeated God is the God of truth? Or when doubt comes in, have we forgot that our undefeated God is a God of faith? 
Or when fear strikes us, have we forgot that our undefeated God is a God of love? Have we forgot that that undefeated God lives in us? Sometimes sin clouds our eyes and we lose focus. We forget about our almighty God. So we just rub our eyes. Let's get things clear, right? Mordecai returned to Esther and said, listen, 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 listen. I understand, but you still are in his place for such a time as this. If you remain completely silent, okay. But guess what? Something is still going to happen. Don't you want to be a part of that? Let's check this out. Verses 12 to 15. Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent back this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that you're going to escape there in the palace when all the Jews are killed. He goes, hey, first of all, this involves you, Esther. See, the sin of one person always affects the sin of another person. Do you remember the story about the fishing boat? I'll remind you in case you forgot, okay? Two men fishing together. They're on the middle of the lake. One guy casts out his fishing pole and he starts fishing. The other guy gets, pulls a drill and starts drilling into his seat of the boat. And the guy that's fishing looks at him and goes, what are you doing? He goes, drilling a hole in my seat. He goes, I know you're drilling a hole in the seat. But you're going to sink the boat. And he goes, it's my seat. He goes, yeah, but it's our boat. See, he thought, well, it's my seat. I can do whatever I want to do. But the problem is, your life affects everybody. The individual of a church affects everybody. See, I'll never forget that story because I had somebody send me a cork. Do you remember that, Melinda? You probably don't remember. Melinda, I shared that many years ago. Melinda sent me a cork talking about plugging the boat and saying, it just reminded me that as Christians, man, let's plug the boat. You know, we do not want to sink our boat. We don't want to sink our boat. You may have forgotten that. I'll never forget it, okay? But Mordecai says, and let's read on here. He goes, you're not going to escape this, verse 14. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance for the Jews will rise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. What's more, who can say but that you've been elevated to the palace for such a time as this? Mordecai's, listen, Esther, Esther, God's put you here for purpose. God's raised you up to do something mighty. You maybe don't see it, but I do. When's the last time you spoke that kind of truth into somebody's life? When have you looked at a friend, a family member, a co-worker and said, I believe God's raised you up for such a time as this. God's put you at your workplace for a reason. God's put you in your family for a reason. When's the last time you spoke truth like that into somebody's life? When is the last time somebody spoke truth into your life? Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Esther's reply back was this. Go, gather people together from all the Jews of Susa. Fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. Then though it's against the law, I'll go see the king. If I die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything that Esther had ordered him. Now taking the determination of the Lord and, and the fire of the Spirit, Esther decided she's going to do this. I'm going to go make a bold appearance before the king. But before I make a bold appearance before the king, here's what's going to happen. I need you all to support me. I need you all to join me. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I need you to fast and pray with me. Jesus reminded us, even the New Testament, spiritual battles sometimes require spiritual preparation with prayer and fasting. Matthew 17, 20 said this, this kind does not go away except by prayer and fasting. Jesus said, you can't conquer this one without prayer and fasting. And I love what she said. 
If it goes against the law, I'll go in and see the king. If I die, I die. What a bold attitude towards her mission. She was determined to be obedient no matter what the cost. Again, when's the last time as a child of God you said, you know what? God wants me to do this. I'm doing this for him. I'm going to do this for him. I'm going to go share my faith with that person. If they laugh at me, they laugh at me. If they reject me, they reject me. But I cannot excuse myself from keeping quiet any longer. What a bold determination. Have we calculated the cost of sin in our lives? Let's back this up and let's wrap it up, okay? Have we calculated the cost of sin in our lives? Do we understand what sin will do in our lives? Do we understand what's at stake here? I sat down in a room full of boys and talked about relationships between boys and girls this past week. And here's a bunch of high school young men all together and from all different backgrounds, inner city, county, wherever. And um, they're talking about, well, why should I stay pure? Why is it wrong for me not to be with the girl before I get married? And they're asking all these kinds of questions. And, and, and they're talking to a guy who's been married for 23 years and, or going on 23 years. And, I, and they said, well, how, how do you... How do you stay away from temptation? Or how do you keep from looking, you know, like, well, well I could go have an affair with this person or that, you know? And it's like, here's, here's sort of what I would do. I would have to picture myself like this. If there was a police report with me on the front page of the newspaper, Pastor Rex caught with other woman or something like that, and I had to write out a police report, and it was in the front page. Again, um, this would be a horrible thing if somebody's listening to a podcast and they just tuned in. What happened? Just made up story, okay? Um, and then it's listed in the newspaper, and I and I had to and I actually had to do this. I shared a couple years ago. I, was, I had to sit down and I was writing this down, you know, whatever sin it would be, you know. And so we picked that one, and so we're writing it down. And as I was writing this down, right along the highway, I was outside, right along the highway, some cop cars like, boom, pulled somebody over, and I was like, I was like, you know what I'm saying? It was like it scared me because it made, made it more real. Like, wow, swallow. Um, and and I, I said, if I had to see that in the front page and everybody else saw it in the front page, and then I'd have to sit down with my wife and say, this is why I did this, why I gave up 23 years of marriage for one moment of pleasure. And then I have to sit down with my sons and tell them, man, I about cried when I looked at you when I said that, um, why I would do that. And I would never do that to your mom. Calculate the cost of sin. Realize what's at stake. Realize what's at stake. Is this serious? Yes. It should do that. I, man, maybe I need to, you know, picture my boys in front of me whenever a temptation enters the mind. Put them there. This is why I would never do this, God. Set priorities. That's what Esther did. Was her life more important than the Jewish nation? No. She determined a course of action and she moved forward. She moved forward. Calculate the cost of sin, people. Set a plan for how to attack it, as Esther and Mordecai did. So let me ask you this. We'll close with this. Are you praying for divine intervention? Are you praying for divine intervention? Am I praying for divine intervention into the lives of other people? When was the last time you prayed and fasted for somebody? When was the last time you gathered God's troops together and his family together and just said, let's all pray and fast for this situation? I'm not talking about just when somebody goes into the hospital. It's like, let's pray that they get out of there. Or somebody's dying, it's like, let's pray for them. I'm, th I'm talking about couple life. You've put that out there. Or when somebody's adopting, you know, it's like, you put that out there. It's like, pray for our family as we're making this big decision. Pray for us as we're moving forward in these steps. We're asking and inviting you all to pray with us.
I love it when you do that as a church. It goes out on the prayer emails sometimes. It goes out on our Facebook page. It comes out in group text messages. And you're saying, let's pray together. That's what we're called to do, to gather and pray together for things just beyond somebody feeling better, but to fight and battle sin and to stand and be bold and courageous when God's asked us to be. Amen? Would you stand and let's pray together? Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God, a mighty God. And God, as we look into this book of Esther, we see an incredible story unfold, and we see what sin can do. We see the mess it can make in the lives of individuals, and not just one individual, but then how that trickles into a nation. Sin is serious, and we need to calculate the cost of sin. And God, once we've done that, once we see that and we recognize that, then we need a plan. And God, this isn't about one individual trying to do it on their own. God, I'd be crazy if I think I can go out and conquer sin. I can't. You can. You did. So God, give us a balance between thinking, well, I'm not going to do anything, and I've got to do it all. Esther didn't. She found the balance. And her and Mordecai together said, here's our plan. Let's gather God's people together and fast and pray. Let's have divine intervention take place here. Before I make this bold movement to the king, I'm asking everybody to join in. God, I pray right now, if there's something going on in the lives of somebody right now in this room where they're sitting there saying, I'm struggling with something. God, they shouldn't be struggling alone. I pray this morning they reach out, they go to another church family member here, somebody just say, hey, would you pray with me on this? Would you pray for me on this? Would you gather a couple more people? And let's pray right now that sin is conquered. Let's pray right now that God's plans and his steps rise above my own plans. Maybe his way, not my way. God, we love you and we want to be obedient to you. So God, as we sing this last song of worship, Lord, speak to us in a way that only you can speak. May they be your words placed upon our heart. May we put them into action as we move forward and live, as we live as a church and be in the church. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now. Amen.